There are lots of parts of religious practice that are not about excluding other people from opportunity. But what we should be vigilant about is separating the freedom of belief, the freedom of worship, the freedom to associate within a religious community from the freedom of those individuals or that group to exclude other people when it's in the public arena, whether it's a commercial arena of businesses or social services or medicine or in other contexts where many different people participate together, one group must not have the ability to exclude or discriminate against other people. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is produced in New York by Media for the Public Good, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Isha. This is the 22nd part of our in-depth conversation with Jennifer C. Pizer, a civil rights attorney at Lambda Legal, about how claims of religious liberty are being weaponized to justify discrimination against LGBTQ people. If you missed any of the series, you can listen on our website, outcastingmedia.org. In our last episode, Jenny and I were discussing the Equality Act, a federal bill she's worked on that would add anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people to our country's civil rights laws. A lot of people think we already have those protections, and that may be part of the reason the bill is currently stalled in the U.S. Senate. There's also a competing bill, called the Fairness for All Act, but it would allow some religion-based discrimination to continue. We also talked in our last episode about the issue of whether giving kids information about LGBTQ issues turns them LGBTQ, and Jenny pointed out that it really doesn't work that way. Depriving kids of this information can make them miserable, isolated, and sometimes despairing, but it doesn't stop them from being LGBTQ. And we talked about a movement in our country that's opposing LGBTQ equality, and the idea that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, but only when people make it bend. It doesn't bend all by itself. So, Jenny, with all of that, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Isha, it's great to be with you again. During this series, we've talked about the current domination of the Supreme Court by religious conservatives, and we've discussed some rather alarming signals coming from the court about the constitutional right to equality under the law and the competing right to religious liberty. If the Supreme Court decides that religious liberty is a more fundamental right than equality for everyone, what does that mean for the future of LGBTQ people? Well, it means that we have that much more work to do. You know, we've had very difficult periods in the past. I do think of our history as having certain cyclical qualities to it. There have been times of religious fundamentalism, religious judgment and condemnation of LGBTQ people. We've had periods of official government persecution of LGBTQ people. I think that we are sufficiently visible these days that it would be harder for those arguments to prevail or for those forces to prevail. But we have an exceedingly conservative, I would say reactionary Supreme Court majority right now. And Some of its members have been explicit in recent years in being critical of important constitutional doctrine that's been in place for many years. I mean, the the constitutional right and freedom to not continue a pregnancy, (laughs) to have control over one's own body, that had been 
definitively settled law until somewhat recently. So I think we need to be paying attention. We need to be engaged. Uh, We need to push back. And when the court is profoundly out of step with the American public, we do have things that we can do to change that situation. It does take time, though. Some of what we're seeing now in terms of this extremely conservative Supreme Court is the result of many years of work by those organizations and people that wanted constitutional law to have a different shape. And they worked for decades to get to the place where we are right now. If we want to protect all of our civil liberties and we want LGBTQ people to have full equality under law and in society in our lives as well as in the legal doctrines, then we have a lot of work yet to do. Many of us say and continue to say, yes, we won the freedom to marry. That's an incredibly important thing. As a married lesbian, I treasure that personally, but it's just one thing, and we have an enormous amount of work ahead of us. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things, and I am depending on the younger generations to continue to do the work with as much vigor um, as some of us older people have applied, because we're not going to get that full equality. We're not going to be able to do what we need to do to ensure our rights under law, given the current courts, unless we do a lot of hard work together. We've talked about the enormous number of anti-LGBTQ bills in the states this year and in 2021. Two of the most visible recently have been a Texas policy that characterizes parents as child abusers when they provide medical care to their trans kids, and Florida's parental rights and education law, which is being called the Don't Say Gay Law. Can you give us a quick update? Well, yes, there's litigation pending now, both in Texas and in Florida, challenging these laws, which at Lambda Legal we see as very serious threats to LGBTQ kids, trans kids in particular, and non-binary young people, and families. Both the Texas directive from the governor and the law that's been passed in Florida are about targeting trans young people and trying to make them disappear, essentially, that they're not legitimate, they shouldn't have medical care, and there shouldn't be conversation about them in their lives. And as I said, there are legal challenges that have been filed, Lambda Legal filed in Texas, and uh, together with some of our co-counsel, so far, the courts have issued court orders, very important court orders, blocking this law. So saying that the authorities in Texas cannot just take this governor's say-so as reason to charge parents who are providing completely appropriate care for their own kids with child abuse, which is a very serious charge. It's an outrageous situation and causing a lot of fear for those families. And in Florida, litigation has been filed, and I think there's going to be more litigation filed. This also is a very serious interference with the ability of of teachers, educators, school districts to make the decisions about public education. The litigation is going to aim to stop the censorship of accurate, true, sometimes life-saving information about the fact that LGBTQ people exist. It's confusing to some people, but it really doesn't make any sense. It's completely impractical because it says there cannot be information or classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity. Well, everybody has a sexual orientation and a gender identity. And if literally followed, that law would say, for example, 
A teacher couldn't say that George Washington was married to Martha Washington. That shows George Washington's sexual orientation. Obviously, that's not what the law is about. It's about targeting. And I think uh, the litigation is setting out to prove that and asking the, the federal court or courts in Florida to issue a court order that this law cannot be enforced. Why didn't they just target LGBTQ people explicitly? Well, when lawmakers or government officials of any kind explicitly target a minority group, then the legal claim that is right there on the table is that it is an equal protection violation. So it seems fairly obvious that in this instance, they wanted the targeting to be a little bit less overt, a little bit less direct, because when it's that much more overt and direct, the legal case is that much more straightforward. But given the context of these laws, there's not really any doubt about who's being targeted, both the entire context in which these rules were issued, but also the obvious reality that they couldn't have a rule saying that, let's say, kids in elementary school can't talk about the fact that they have two parents, one of whom is female and one of whom is male. Like Kids can say they have a mom and a dad. This is aiming to prevent the kids who might have two moms or two dads from talking about their family. And that's when it becomes clear that it's a discriminatory intent and a discriminatory effect the way it would be enforced. We've been talking about several specific aspects of how the constitutional freedom of religion is being weaponized to attack another constitutional right, that of equality. But to wrap up this long discussion, let's zoom out and look at the big picture. Is equality for all really an operative concept in the United States today? At Outcasting, we've talked about this issue, and we don't really see that it is. Racial equality seems far out of reach even now, nearly 70 years after Brown v. Board of Education. Equality is supposed to be one of the fundamental values of our country, but especially in today's political and legal climate, it seems that equality is taking a backseat to religious freedom. So is equality ever going to be achievable, or does enough of the country value it little enough that it's really not going to happen? Well, you know, Isha, I don't have a crystal ball any more than any of us do. What I would say is that the story of our country has been an ongoing conversation about what equality means, what discrimination is, how we should understand it, and how we go about changing discriminatory conditions where where some people are treated as less than because of who they are when their identity isn't relevant to whatever the issue may be. I do think that we're making progress. I was going to say steady progress, but it it's not consistent progress. It goes in cycles or waves or whatever metaphor you want to use. And we certainly do make forward progress, but then we encounter pushback and we come to understand different sorts of differences among us. And then the conversation about equality just continues. So it's not that I think we will get to a time where there's perfect equality for everyone in every way across every issue. I think it will always be a work in progress, but we are making progress, I think. And as long as we keep doing our work and educating each other and lawmakers and courts and everybody else in a position of social and legal power or leadership, as long as we keep doing that, I think we can and will keep moving forward. But, you know, we can't rest on our laurels, as they say. If we stop doing that work, 
those who want to maintain a discriminatory social structure or want to hold on to the power to exclude other people will gain more ability to do that. So if we want a society where everyone can be included and treated as equal, then it means we have to keep doing the work. We hear a lot about the LGBTQ lifestyle being shoved down people's throats and how marriage equality redefined the institution of marriage and forces everyone to accept that change, whether they want to or not. As we've been discussing, people and organizations shouldn't be able to use their religious beliefs to justify discrimination in our civil society. But is anyone in the fight for LGBTQ equality actually trying to tell religions what they can and what they can't do entirely within their own borders? In other words, for example, is anyone trying to force religious organizations to accept same-sex marriage as a purely religious matter? Well, you actually did describe two different things. You described within their own borders and then as a purely religious matter. Where the questions get complicated and particularly interesting, in my view, is when we talk about the places where religious organizations or religious communities are engaging with other people, possibly by operating social service or medical programs that receive public taxpayer support and invite members of the public to receive their services in that environment that is under religious auspices, but subject to certain kinds of non-religious rules or controls. You can think about Catholic hospitals. That's a very large part of our medical system these days. And questions arise in that context about whether certain family relationships have to be respected or not, and whether certain types of medical care uh, needs to be provided or not when religion disagrees with what the medical standards might be or what the, what the family law rules might say. I think it's clear, and it certainly has been clear throughout the movement to win equality in marriage as a civil matter, that this was not about pushing to change the religious understanding of marriage. It's never been about that, at least from the LGBTQ movement perspective. But I think what makes it somewhat complicated is that some religious leaders and, and communities recognize that when the civil law changes and the popular public understanding changes, then a view that was more widely held among religious communities and the broader society, well, the religious view then may become more and more of a minority view. And so some religious institutions see that as a threat or as dangerous because they see their own perspective becoming first a minority view and then sometimes marginalized. But the reality is we're talking about the family code, the civil law, and the same thing happened when there was a push to make divorce available as a civil ma matter and some uh, religious organizations disagreed vehemently about that, well, it's still a religious freedom issue that religious bodies do not have to permit divorce and don't have to recognize divorce, but the civil law does. I think we will see a similar development with respect to marriage. We say, and we will continue to say, that this LGBTQ civil equality movement doesn't have authority and is not trying to have authority over houses of worship and religious rules. But we are seeking to have civil rules that treat everybody as, an, as equal and don't exclude people or deny full equal treatment based on any particular religious sect. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, 
Produced in New York by Media for the Public Good. Online at outcastingmedia.org. We're talking about what happens when people claim that their religious liberty entitles them to discriminate against LGBTQ people in ways that wouldn't be acceptable if the discrimination were against other minorities. Our guest is Jenny Pizer, the Senior Counsel and Director of Law and Policy for Lambda Legal, the country's oldest and largest legal organization seeking full recognition of the civil rights of LGBT people and everyone living with HIV. A lot of people who oppose LGBTQ equality, whether for religious reasons or not, think that we aren't entitled to equality because, unlike other minorities, we choose to be LGBTQ. They say that if we don't want to be treated unequally, we just have to choose to be straight and cisgender. We certainly know the truth, that we don't choose to be LGBTQ. But how do you address that thought on a larger scale? You know, I find it very satisfying and it gives me a lot of hope that that view I think is becoming a smaller and smaller minority view. More and more people understand that we are who we are, whatever our sexual orientation or gender identity might be, that that's who we are and that it's not appropriate. It's certainly not kind. Sometimes it's disrespectful and cruel to tell people to live in a way that's not how they're wired, to pretend to be something that they're not in order to please other people or to conform. I think we've made an enormous amount of progress sharing our stories, coming out and helping other people understand who we are and what our life experience is. And that has made a big difference. I think that there are some people who continue to hold this belief that our identity is a matter of choice and we should just choose to be the way they say we ought to be. But I think that that is a shrinking view. And if we keep doing a work, our work, then I think more and more people will understand and we will face this argument less and less often. It's a commonly held opinion that the anti-abortion movement isn't really about abortion, that it's about controlling women. Is opposing LGBTQ equality really about something else? Well, I certainly have thought that often, and I think there are lots of people who do think that. I, I think it's about a couple different things. I think as long as we have been invisible, as long as people don't know us, as long as some of us feel like we have to pretend, then other people don't understand who we are. And in that vacuum, in that invisibility, misunderstandings, myths, and untruths can proliferate. Things have changed a lot because we have spoken up and we have engaged with lots of people to provide the education. So for some people, I think it has been about misunderstanding and lack of information. And for some other people, it's about wanting society not to change in the arrangement of the role of men in particular, cisgender men who have social position and authority and describe that social position and that authority as quote-unquote natural, that that being the proper role of men to make decisions, to control other people, to hold leadership, to hold wealth and power over other people, and that if some men don't conform to that stereotype, then they're not real men and they should be held in contempt. They should be socially punished in various ways for defying that so-called proper role. And similarly for women, women who are in relationships with other women are defying a certain stereotype of 
how women should behave and the role that we should play, including perhaps to take care of men and to have and take care of children and to play a support role. The LGBTQ movement is about many things, centrally about freeing each of us to be who we really are and to develop for ourselves as individuals what our social role should be, what type of relationship is really best for each of us to do that with love and caring for other people, but not just playing a particular role because society has told us that's the role we must play based on how we are perceived, how we are perceived when we're born and how we are taught to behave as we grow up. So yes, I think in a similar way, the equality and freedom that we are calling for as an LGBTQ movement is a threat to people who want to maintain society a particular way for particular purposes. And that's among a number of different reasons that are different movements, including the movement for reproductive freedom and justice and healthcare access, should be moving hand in hand with the movement for LGBTQ equality and with some other movements that are about respecting people for who they are and not confining them to narrow social roles based on how other people are perceiving them, based on certain characteristics that they have that may not at all be about what their potential and identity really are about. We've been talking about religious opposition to LGBTQ equality. Has religious freedom been asserted as a reason to fight against equality in other contexts? Yes, indeed. I'm afraid to say that religious freedom arguments have been asserted repeatedly in the past to justify discrimination of various kinds. This is something that we have pointed out to courts repeatedly in some of our litigation. Religious arguments were advanced to justify racial segregation, or really white supremacy, and to justify exclusion of women from particular jobs and opportunities, including the ability to receive a legal education and a law license. That's one of the famous cases that came out of Illinois. And also to discriminate in the housing context against unmarried heterosexual couples. There are many examples I could give you, but the reality is, yes, we have seen this before. And in each instance, it has been a matter of litigation, policy, argument, and public education that religious freedom is important, but it does not justify limiting other people's opportunities, that one person's freedom of religion must not be protected to an extent that it allows discrimination, exclusion, or other kinds of harms to other people. During this series, we focused on what happens when these two constitutional guarantees, equality and religious freedom, come into conflict, and which one should take precedence. Is religious freedom threatened as more groups seek and hopefully win equality? In other words, are we talking about a zero-sum game where someone has to lose equality and freedom in order for LGBTQ people to gain more equality and freedom? Well, I think we should recognize that lots and lots of religious beliefs and tenets are not about other people and whether other people have equal opportunity to participate or not. Many religious traditions worship in particular ways, have dietary rules, have rules about clothing. There are lots of parts of religious practice that are not about excluding other people from opportunity. So I think that's a consistent focus that needs to be maintained. And when the freedom of one group 
to exclude or discriminate against another, whichever groups those may be, then we come back to this principle of the freedom of one person finds a limit when that freedom would cause harm to another person. And there can be some complicated questions that arise, and those can be among the most interesting. But the bottom line is that this is not a new tension. It's unlikely to go away. But what we should be vigilant about is separating in our own minds the freedom of belief, the freedom of worship, the freedom to associate within a religious community from the freedom of those individuals or that group to exclude other people when it's in the public arena, whether it's a, the commercial arena of businesses or social services or medicine or in other contexts where many different people participate together and one group must not have the ability to exclude or discriminate against other people. Let's look at the fight against LGBTQ equality from the standpoint of religious people. They may think that their religious beliefs condemn LGBTQ people, or maybe they condemn the sin but not the sinner, and they assert these beliefs in a lot of public settings as they oppose equality under the law for LGBTQ people. We live in such a polarized society right now. Do you think that people can learn to embrace LGBTQ equality without disavowing their religious beliefs? Well, I think we've seen consistently over many years that many religions evolve forward in time. Religious communities are, of course, simply groups of people. And you see within particular religious traditions, sometimes the division of, of a particular faith community into separate sections as one group of people evolves in a particular direction with their beliefs and another part of that group holds on to the previous sets of beliefs. We've certainly seen some religious traditions come to embrace leadership by women when that was not part of the tradition. And in some other faith groups, women continue to not be able to play a leadership role, at least not as clergy. I think we will see exactly the same thing. And we have been seeing exactly the same thing for LGBTQ people. I mean, we have seen particular subsets of, a, of many different faith traditions that have created a, a, a subgroup that embraces LGBTQ people and maintains a conversation with a larger group. And that conversation creates opportunities for everyone to grow. So we have seen that. I think we will see a lot more of that. And, you know, I think that's all to the good. I mean, we live in a society in a world where many things are changing and many religious groups are interacting with each other in more diverse ways than perhaps was true in the past. And all of that creates opportunities for people to learn from each other and for some of those beliefs to evolve forward to create more space for people and more recognition of people. Often that can be more in keeping with the core tenets of many faiths of loving thy neighbor, caring for each other, not being judgmental. So for some of those groups, as they evolve forward and are more inclusive, they see themselves as being more consistent with the core beliefs. And for those that don't do that or haven't done that yet, they take their own view and all of that is constitutionally protected. We're out of time, but we'll continue this next time. Thanks, Jenny. You're welcome. That's it for this 22nd part of our series on the conflict between equality for LGBTQ people and those who cite religious liberty to justify discriminating against us. If you've missed any part of this series, it's available on our website. 
outcastingmedia.org. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth broadcaster Tim and me, Isha. Our executive producer is Mark Sofis. Outcasting is produced in New York by Media for the Public Good. More information is available at outcastingmedia.org. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Outcasting. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school, or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is a nonprofit organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. Seriously, don't be scared. They even have an online chat you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. All right, I'll say it one more time. 866-488-7386 or online at thetrevorproject.org. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Connect. Thanks, and thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make your tax-deductible contribution today. We can't do programs like this without your support. To make your donation, please visit us at outcastingmedia.org and click on Support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.